Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi and welcome to Mindshifters Radio. Today is Friday, August the 18th, 2023. And Dr. Tim is at a family reunion, so he has asked me to play. This is a summary of work uh, that he did back in December of 2015. So enjoy. Michael and I will be live the second hour. All right. Um, So... I'll get a little uh, intro going here, and you can just interrupt me if somebody raises a hand, because as you know, uh, my preference is to take calls, and I try to approach these shows prepared to talk for the whole hour if I need to, but always hoping people will call in with comments or questions or testimonials of how this work is helping them. And this work specifically for the recap is the ancient Aramaic technology of forgiveness. And forgiveness is this this tool for reaching inside myself and removing anything that doesn't belong in me. And in order to remove what doesn't belong in me, I have to have a definition of what does belong in me and what doesn't. And the ancient Aramaic had the understanding that as human beings, we're meant to, because we are created from this energy of creation, some call it love, and because we were created by this energy of creation, some call it love, we're made of this stuff, some call love, and that's what we're meant to have as our conscious experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year round. And sometimes when we say that, um, people have an objection and they say, well, you're trying to tell me that my anger is a bad thing or that I shouldn't have upset or I shouldn't have fear or I shouldn't have sadness or grief. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this system is this mind-body energy system, this creation device is beyond my comprehension with my conscious logical mind and it's a system that is so well designed and put together that everything that's in it is there for a reason and if that's the case it would be really important for me to know what's the reason for my having sadness anger fear grief hostility confusion tension and one thing I'm offering is the purpose for those energies which feel discordant, tense, 
painful, disruptive, uncomfortable, whatever you want to call them. The purpose of it is to give me the feedback to tell me that my focus is inaccurate, that what I'm using to focus my conscious attention on is something that is creating discomfort, and that's not what I'm designed for. So it's like a feedback system to tell me, hey, Tim, your thoughts are off the mark. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You've chosen the wrong few bits of information from your senses. And back up, take a breath, center on your true nature as the energy of love, and then try again. Reassemble the input. Ask to be shown a higher inf- uh, a level of, of integration of the information or to choose different parts of the information that are hitting your senses or what's getting resonated from your past. Reevaluate it. Dismantle what doesn't belong there and return your focus to your true nature that your conscious awareness should be on your true nature all the time, and that is this energy of creation, this energy of love, this energy of compassion. And when I do that, moment to moment, I create an experience of my true nature moment to moment, and then I'm creating an experience of love. I'm creating an experience of expansion, extension, acceptance, compassion, inclusion, union, and that's what the tool of forgiveness is all about. It helps me use the warning signals that appear in my awareness, and some would call them energies of pain or sadness or grief or loss or confusion or guilt or shame or anger, frustration, But if I use them as a guidance system, like a Geiger counter or a compass, to help me realize when my focus is off the mark, then I can also use that system in conjunction with a tool like the ancient Aramaic tool of forgiveness to remove from my energy system what doesn't belong there. And the more I clear out the stuff that doesn't belong there, the easier it is for me to experience and shift my focus to my true nature as this energy of love and then extend that love to everyone and everything in every relationship in my life. And the more I do that, the easier it gets to, 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 to do. It's, um, it's amazing how well I've been conditioned by my culture to focus on those things which produce discomfort, anger and fear and tension, physical discomfort, negative emotional states, negative thought patterns. And I've been conditioned into that day after day, week after week for decades. And I was born into an energy system that inherited from both sides of my bloodline the same kinds of unproductive, tense, anger-filled, competition-filled patterns and belief systems. And I got it from both my mom's side and my dad's side that goes back infinitely. And then ever since I was born, I've been raised in a culture that's based on old false beliefs and competition and false separations 
one person from another, one skin color from another, one geographic location from another, one political belief system from another, one religious belief system from another. And these false separations, these ideas and beliefs have been used in the culture that I was born in and raised in for centuries to justify all manner of horrific abuses from shunning to torture to death to wars to sarcasm to ridicule false separations false identifications artificial arbitrary lines of delineation based on a few tiny bits of information hitting our senses and based on a history inherited from all kinds of people who were not living with a direct focus on their conscious nature, conscious awareness of their true nature as love. And I inherited that and I lived in it for decades, so I've been trained and conditioned to believe I'm right, you're wrong, it's settled, why argue? And of course when you happen to have a different opinion than mine, I've been trained to believe that if you're somebody that I want the approval of, I should give up my opinion and adopt yours. And if you're not somebody whose approval I want, I will argue with you. I will move to the level of actual antagonism, actual physical aggression to prove I'm right and you're wrong. And if that's been happening in my life on both of my parents' sides and all generations back for as long as time goes, and I inherited the energetic and genetic impressions of that, and then I had 35 or 40 years of conditioning in this culture into that belief system, I've got a lot of work to do to undo those conditioning patterns, to build a new habit. And the invitation of this work is to start anew. Please don't make a New Year's resolution. I really like the way Abraham, Abraham Hicks says this. Last year, in January, she gave a talk and she said, don't make a New Year's resolution. This one's already come and already gone and you've already ruined it. Make a new moments resolution. Begin to train yourself to observe in the moment and question anew. Begin in each moment to return your focus to your breath, to shift the focus of your conscious awareness to your true nature. Begin a new moment's resolution. And pick up the tools. Pick the ones that fit you best. And make a commitment to yourself, to your potential as a creator of a new, loving, positive, more expansive, joyful lifestyle. And apply your conscious awareness, moment to moment, to the application of tools that make your life better. And I'm happy if you're doing that with whatever tool suits you. 
the Sedona Release Method, Ho'oponopono, Byron Katie's work, the schools of religious science, the schools of Christian science, the schools of unity teachings, Martha Creek's work out of unity. Whichever set of tools resonates with you, pick it up, apply it, make a new moment's resolution in each new moment to monitor your internal experience for an indication that your alarm is going off, that you're feeling anything less than love, that you're having any thoughts that are less than loving and inclusive, that you're doing anything other than identifying the true nature of creative force flowing through you and what it wants you to accomplish, that you keep your intention focused on the purity of that energy of creation, that you allow it to be there without resistance from you, that you surrender fully to that experience in the presence of each new moment, and that you remember with humility, and humility from the ancient Aramaic definition of the ability to identify the highest and best in everyone and everything you see, and then choose actively in the moment to cooperate only with that highest and best then you will resonate with the highest and best energies that it is potential for you to resonate with. You will extend those energies which are highest and best. And you will create in each new moment from your resolution to do so a better, more loving, more creative, more joyful, more expansive, more inclusive life experience in each moment. Now, in this work, the primary tool for that is called the Reality Management Worksheet, and that's available on the website that Dr. Michael Rice and Jeannie have tirelessly constructed with thousands of pages. And the website is www.whyagain.org. And there's a, a link on that page that looks like a red and white bullseye, and if you click on that link... It takes you to the page where this core tool, which is called the Reality Management Worksheet or Wake-Up Sheet, the name keeps changing, but the process, the core process is always the same. And it's free as a download. You don't even have to get on a mailing list. The vast majority and the core power tools that Michael and Jeannie have created, they're making available completely free of charge without any strings attached. You click the link, you download the PDF file, you print it out as often as you want, and you've got access to one of the most powerful tools I have seen and experienced in my over 41 years of living life and doing therapy. Also on that link, you'll find a, a, a link to, again, completely free. You don't even have to add yourself to a mailing list. The 24-and-a-half-minute video of a PowerPoint presentation that explains the core of the process. The core of the process, which took Dr. Michael Rice 35 years to try and to, to really understand, even though he taught it and he saw it work and he saw people have great results with it, it took him about 35 years to really begin to understand the core. 
And the core mechanism of this process is to understand that the reality that I'm experiencing in each moment is generated by my mind. It's got nothing to do with what's going on outside of me. And it's generated in my mind, driven by the goals I hold in each moment. And when I hold a goal, it literally recruits data from my past experiences and my energetic patterns, and it uses my past and the information stored in my brain and body's energy system to create a picture in my mind that I then hallucinate and believe is what's going on outside of me. And so if I understand the alarm system and I realize when I'm feeling any kind of discomfort physically, mentally, or emotionally, that means I have done something off the mark. I've shifted my focus away from my true energy as a nature of love. Then, now with the concept of identifying a goal is what drives that creation in my mind that I'm calling reality that's driven by my perception, I can then go in and cancel whatever goal I'm holding, and I can get access to a higher faculty of experience, of wisdom, of energetic connectedness by simply asking to be shown how I'm actually creating my own pain. And when I cancel the goal, it literally collapses the picture in my mind that I have identified with, that I've been holding on to, that I have been certain is, is what tells me that I'm right and the world is wrong and, and that I shouldn't have to be feeling this. I can cancel that whole perceptual process by simply canceling my goals in the moment and asking to be shown from something far greater and more powerful and expansive than my conscious logical mind, where is the true source of my discomfort? And when that happens, and I ask to be shown, and I ask to love truth, truth meaning the actuality of what's happening in the moment, powerful changes happen in my life. That's the core of this work. A beautiful PowerPoint presentation outlining it is available for free. The worksheet process itself is available for free. And a whole host of other worksheets and tools that are available for free at www.whyagain.org. So I'll take a breath and I'll ask Michelle if we have anybody in the chat room, if we have anybody with their hand up on the phone queue, or if you have any thoughts about what I've said so far. Um, we kind of quiet on the switchboard today in the chat room. Um, the one thing I really have to agree with everything that you said is the part about that it gets easier and easier. It's um, surprising to me um, how my own resistance systematically, um, sorry, I'm getting a call. I'm trying to figure out, excuse me, um, that that, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought because I was getting a call and so I um, was talking about 
this process of forgiveness and um, letting you were go. Saying it, gets, uh, it gets easier and easier. Easier, easier, and that that is been kind of a delightful surprise because the level of resistance maybe at the beginning when you're coming into the particular issues is very was very um, palpable for me and, and a, a real force to reckon with, so to speak. And so then, you know, a couple of years later, and then it's with a lot more ease. And I didn't expect that because of how hard, difficult, how challenging it was for me to let go, let's say, at the beginning, um, concepts about needing to be right, you know, voracious appetite for needing to be right. And, like, how that was so integrated and identified so strongly. And, I mean, I, I can't, I don't recognize that I'm not that person anymore. Not that it's completely real. There's fringes. It, it's just that my ability to, to transcend them is is becoming easier. And it's, it's like a nice surprise, like bonus. Do not have to always be so arduous? Yeah, it really, um, I have noticed the same thing for myself, that um, year after year, the ease has been sneaking up on me and at the same time um, there's a course um, a lesson in the way of mastery Um, in the uh, fifth lesson it talks about the keys to the kingdom and it says the keys to the kingdom are desire intention allowance surrender and humility And the reason for the need for humility is because the further one goes in the process of removing what's less than love, the more powerfully the person's life changes for the better, and the greater the temptation for the individual to say, oh, look what I did, look what a a fine boy am I. And that is the other side of the coin for how it gets easier and easier to face my own resistance and to surrender into the process and pick up the tools and move through my own uh, painful energies or false beliefs, I can move through them far more quickly than I did two, three, four, five years ago. I can also be pulled up very, very abruptly and short because the things I'm likely to run into at the next level are things that I have hidden from myself so um, successfully and with such an intense conviction that this is too powerful, too negative, too upsetting, too grief-stricken, too rageful for me to deal with. So I will get far more intense negative responses when I hit a new layer, perhaps even more intense than when I first began or in my first few years in this work. What I have noticed, however, is that the duration of the discomfort is getting shorter and shorter. 
So if I keep my willingness focused and I'm willing to go through the more intense, the more uncomfortable, the more painful, the more confusing layers, they pass more quickly. Um, you know, that's interesting um, disclosure, Tim, because I haven't really heard anybody mention that concept before and trying to put it through my own experience to see if, um, if that feels right. But, but it, it's interesting. That, so wh- what would you think the correlation is, is why the intensity be, be more? Because you're cleared the, the thinner layers and so you're getting to the... Um, well, my my understanding of it is that it's all directly related to my willingness to go through it. And the things that will pop up when I first say, hey, I want to be enlightened. I want to be a better person. I want to go follow some spiritual teachings. I want to sign up for this wisdom school. So the things that I'm going to be willing to see at that first level are still tied to my ego's identification with wanting to be seen as a good person or as a spiritual seeker. And so I'm really, at that level, not as willing as my conscious mind wants me to believe. It's still mostly tied to an ego identification. And so I'll be able to look at, oh, yeah, I was kind of mean to my brother when I was growing up. I should go through those layers. Oh, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm not completely honest about, you know, my financial dealings or whatever it is that that was my issue. And I'm because I'm new to it, I think I'm willing at a far deeper level than my willingness actually goes because I don't understand the process. And the further I go into the process the more I peel back the layers and the more I realize, oh, my gosh, you know, I have hidden a lot more stuff from myself than I ever imagined I had hidden from myself. I have literally convinced myself that I can't survive looking at this piece of knowledge about myself or this false belief about myself or this old memory about myself. Well, I didn't even realize that. So as I go deeper, I'm going to run into things that have been there longer and that got put in there with a stronger conclusion on my part that I that I could not survive if they came to the surface. So that's my understanding of, of why when I do have a new layer come up, sometimes it's, it's just mind-boggling to my conscious mind how intense it is when I've had thoughts about, oh, yeah, I've handled my, my anger issue in that area, or, oh, yeah, I've handled my guilt issue in that area. And, and then if I think, if I let myself go down that path of thinking I've done this work or I've finished with that issue, I've literally just put a set of blinders on myself. And then I just go charging off into the world with blinders off, and I get shocked by the fact that I just ran into a tree stump. So my challenge is to stay constantly with the resolution in each new moment to be open to watch whatever errors, whatever alarm systems go off, 
and just stay with the program that says, okay, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. And that's, you know, one of my favorite lines from one of the early worksheets was just that, quote, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. My thinking is off the mark. Another one of my favorite lines from a previous worksheet is, the truth is, my reality is strictly internal, it's unique to me, and is created out of my own thoughts. And if you think about it, that means I'm a very powerful creator because in each moment I create my experience of life by the thoughts I choose. Because the statement was, the truth is, my reality is strictly internal, it's unique to me, and is created out of my own thoughts. If I can stay focused on that in the moment and just be alerted to the fact that any discomfort, physical, mental, or emotional, is my alarm system provided by the Creator for my benefit to let me know when I'm in error. Then I don't have the trap of thinking, oh, I'm done with that. Oh, I've already cleared these issues, so it must be his problem right now. Does that make sense? No, it all it all um, makes real sense. I actually want to go back to the laundry list that you provided, and I, I didn't catch who you said it was. Humility was the end of it. There were um, so the other five keys to the kingdom. So the five keys oh, okay. to the kingdom from from the way of mastery, lesson five. And the first is desire. And. In in Lesson 4 in Way of Mastery, the entire lesson is about the energy of desire. And I'll wrap it up this way. You know, we have a lot of confusion that we create and perpetuate by the use of language and words. And there's a lot of individual meaning that each of us has loaded for a word like desire. So... In the fourth lesson, Way of Mastery goes into great detail trying to describe the energy of desire. And one little story is that, so here's the creator, and the creator creates these beautiful little flowers and provides the energy of creation like the nectar of life that these flowers can suck up from their roots and use to create buds and flowers and, and beautiful arrangements of, of, of creation. And, and the Creator gave those flowers free will. And the Creator steps back and watches and says, isn't this odd? Some of these flowers I've created, just as this nectar of life and 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 energy comes into their roots and starts to ascend, they tie their stem in knots so that energy can't express. So the energy of desire is simply the energy of creation that wants to express through each of us individually and differently. This is completely different than the energy of wanting or craving or obsession, 
It's a very powerful but very subtle energy that most of us have been conditioned out of paying attention to. So the entire lesson four is some exercises and some talk about how to, how to just slow down and sit back and observe the energy of desire trying to express through us and know we don't have to act on it and get better and better at tuning our awareness to this very subtle and powerful energy and that's desire. Lesson five talks about the five keys to the kingdom. Desire is the first, intention is the second, allowance, surrender, and humility. So desire we've talked about, I get tuned into what uniquely wants to express through me as this energy of creation. And I practice letting go of the judgments. Oh, I shouldn't want money because I'm a spiritual person. Oh, I shouldn't want to eat ice cream because I'm supposed to be a healthy spiritual person. Oh, I shouldn't want sex because spiritual people don't really care about the physical. And just put all of those judgments away and tune into and make a practice of tuning into this energy that's trying to flow through us. With the understanding that we have the spiritual faculty of choice and that we can choose from a place of balance in alignment with other values and priorities what we act on. And so this helps us move into a very productive alignment. The second, so there's desire, then there's intention. And intention has to do with reminding myself in the present moment that my intention is to be of service to this energy of creation. That my intention is to be aligned with the desire of the creator trying to express through me. The next faculty is allowance. And this has to do with recognizing that whatever is happening is happening for me, not to me. And that when I have a resistance to something that appears in my life, I'm, if I go with the resistance as anything other than my alarm system to refocus on my true nature as love, if I use the resistance from an ego perspective to decide I'm right and you're wrong, I'm removing myself from the stream of life in the moment and the flow of creation. So allowance has me being the leaf on the surface of the water being swept downstream in the flow of the creative energy. I get up in the morning and I have some plans to have a beautiful day out in the sun and a picnic and all kinds of friends invited, and it's raining. And rather than having even a moment's resistance, I allow, and I look at the rain, I allow this day to be rainy. I allow this day to progress in an entirely different fashion than what I had planned. So there's desire, tapping into the energy that wants to express the creative energy that wants to express uniquely through me, intention in the moment, in the presence moment, reminding myself that I want to be aligned with the intention of all creation in harmony, in extension of love and beauty. And then I want to be in allowance. 
I want to be in that state of allowing however the day unfolds and use it, allow myself to be used in each of those moments to express that creative energy flow with the intention of being in the flow of creation and allowing whatever happens and releasing my resistance in each moment. And then I want to surrender. I want to surrender to all of it that can come, all of life that can benefit from my extension of love in each moment, all that I can learn by surrendering to be taught by the power of the moment, by the other creative beings around me, by the flow of creative energy in my world that I have drawn to me to reveal to me that which is less than love within me so that I can dismantle it and release it, surrendering in each moment. And a lot of times Dr. Michael Rice talks about this too. He says, you know, people don't want to hear about surrender. We're raised in a culture that's focused on domination and competition and being the best and overpowering things. And people really get all bent out of shape when they hear the word surrender and understand it at these deeper and deeper levels that it's really a powerful, powerful process. And what most people don't understand is that they are always surrendering to one thing or another. In the world of competition and dominance, I'm always either surrendering to anger or fear or I'm surrendering to love. And in this work, the invitation is to learn to surrender to the flow of life which comes from that energy of creation, which some would call love, to be focused on how it wants to express through me as an energy of desire, to hold the intention to stay aligned with the true energy of creative force, which always speaks about inclusion and acceptance and joy, extension and creativity in a loving energy, to allow that to happen and unfold as it does, to surrender to the process fully, surrender to love in each moment, choose to surrender to love rather than surrender to be driven by the alarm system, which is there only to tell me, hey, you know, you're not in alignment with love in this moment. And then, as one does that, one discovers fabulous transformations in their experience of life moment to moment because one begins to build the habit of staying focused with their conscious awareness on their true nature as the energy of love, and then their experience of life in each moment becomes the extension of that love. It becomes loving, joyful, passionate, compassionate, inclusive, creative. And in that moment, I have transformed my experience of life. And as I do that, things get so much better that it literally puts me in a different world of experience. And that's where humility needs to be, again, a presence moment commitment, a present, a new moment resolution to stay connected to the fact that, you know what? I didn't create myself. I don't even know when I was created. I don't know how to digest the food I had for breakfast. So this isn't me doing all of this. This is me 
letting the energy of desire flow through me, holding the intention of being aligned with the desire from a higher level of being, and, and that level of energy that keeps the stars in alignment and the planet spinning, allowing whatever happens and allowing myself to understand that it must be happening for me and not punitively to me, surrendering in that moment to the energy of creation rather than resistance, and then understanding I didn't do this. Even the master teacher that some call Jesus, and, and we know from the ancient Aramaic his name was something more like Yeshua or Yeshua, that his core teachings were, I myself do nothing, and yet the Father within me does all these things. Even at the pinnacle of manifesting creatively, positively, true masters understand that their being a master has nothing to do with control of anything other than they've mastered their ability to be a perpetually avid student. And in this context, what am I being a student of? I am a student of the energy of creation, the energy of love, and I allow it to teach me, and I surrender to it in each moment. And I hold the power of humility, which is that ability to identify with the highest and best, with everyone and everything around me, and then choosing to cooperate only with that. Taking a breath. Did, did I stay on target or go way off on tangent? I think um, you're doing a wonderful job, um, so much so that people prefer to listen than calling with questions. It's a great uh, message. And just, for me, it resonates just a lot of um, positive good feelings when I um, can remember to reconnect with that when, when you're saying it and kind of imagining it and, you know, instantly feel a higher level of vitality, more energy, just sitting here. So I'm sure other well, people I, are similarly inspired. It's, very, it's an inspiring message. Well, I, I I bring in things like Way of Mastery and Guy Finley to this work on this show because to my ear and my eye, it's the same message. And when I have an experience in my mind-body energy system that's anything other than that energy of love, I want to pick up a reality management worksheet. I want to take a breath. I want to do like uh, the Beatitudes say in the first few Beatitudes. You know, these aren't religious um, prescriptions for following some law uh, of man or some religious um, ritual. This is what some would call a yogic practice. So instead of um, blessed are the poor in spirit, which is the first beatitude, uh, something like that from the King James, the ancient Aramaic scholars have gone back to the original and 
found out that what was interpreted as the word poor is not poor as in having nothing, but as in being open. And another meaning for that word that was translated by the Greeks as the word poor is it's just one tiny little mark, one little dash on the, on the paper turns the word that the Greeks interpreted as poor to the word home. And so if you're listening to someone who's supposed to be a, an earth-shattering spiritual teacher, and then someone down the road says, oh, did you hear what that, that spiritual teacher said? Blessed are those who are poor in their spirit. And somebody else says, wait a minute, I was there at the same talk. I, I, I know his native language. And I believe what he said was, now is the ripe time. Ripe is in the ripeness of a fruit at the perfect moment. Right now is the perfect moment to make your home in the breathing unity, to breathe, to bring yourself into the breath, have your home in your spirit world, in your home, in your connection, the, the intimate connection between the physical and the spiritual energy system. Now is the ripe time to make your home in the breathing unity and let the fertile soil of the queendom birth your clear guidance. And somebody else was at the same talk, and they said, no, no, uh, not only do I speak his native language, I'm from his hometown. And I really think all he said was, listen, whenever you feel anything that you don't like, breathe, make your home in the breath, feel it, feel it fully, keep breathing, and then let it flow through you. That's all he said in the first three Beatitudes. Breathe, feel it, and let it go. It makes more sense to me that a spiritual teacher would say, make your home in your spirit. Make your home in the breath which connects the, the energy of creation to this physical body. This energy flow without which there is no animation of that thing you're calling a physical energy system. Focus on that. Let that reconnect you to what your true nature is. Let that remind you that you don't have any idea how your breath keeps moving when you're not thinking about it or when you're asleep at night and your heart keeps pumping and your food digests. You don't have any idea how you make the body move across the room when you decide to get up and go to the refrigerator. There is something in each of us that is living through us. There is something in each of us which is looking out through us. There is something within each of us that is breathing us, living us, breathing us. And um, Dale Allen Hoffman likes to quote St. Francis of Assisi that said, who said, what you are looking for when you go on a spiritual quest, when you say you want to find God, what you are looking for is what's doing the looking through you. It is the energy of creation that's trying to express through you in each moment that keeps your heart pumping, that keeps your food digesting, that motivates your nerve system and your muscles to help you navigate your body through the physical realm. And that, that, that reminds me of 
this one quote that Michael Rice likes to bring up. He says, you know, there's a, a biblical quote that says, The eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep shall your darkness become? And he says, you know, if you look at that in the English language as it came through the Greek translations from an ancient Aramaic speaker, it's really boggling. What is that talking about? The eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep shall your darkness become? But if you have the ancient Aramaic translations and an understanding of the idioms, Michael Rice says, here's a better way to understand what was being said there. Your perceptual mind is your light for this earthly life. It's the thing that's supposed to help you walk through life without bumping into trees or open manholes. Your perception is simply meant to help you navigate through the physical realm. And within that light of perception, you know, there's a site on a, a CIA website that says their research indicates very, very clearly that our perception does not record reality. We've been taught to believe that if I open my eyes and look out the window, I'm simply going to see what's there. But numerous studies have demonstrated, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that my perception does not record reality. My perception constructs reality. And it's constructed based on goals and conclusions that I hold in my mind and based on my past experiences which feed those goals and conclusions. So here's a, a, some kind of a translated quote that comes down and says, the eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep will your darkness become? Well, here's ancient Aramaic wisdom. If you go back to the original translation and it says something more like, your perceptual mind is the light for your earthly life. It's here to help you navigate through the physical realm safely. And if your light in that perceptual realm is darkness, in the ancient Aramaic that meant any form of hostility or fear, if you're feeling hostility or fear, you're not perceiving accurately. Your lights are out. It's as bad as wearing blinders. You're going to create more problems for yourself. You're going to think your internal discomfort, your alarm system telling you you're off the mark, is caused by someone or something outside of you. Then you're going to go chasing after someone or something outside of you to get them, 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 it, he, she, to change so that you don't have to feel your alarm system going off. And that's an endless wild goose chase. There will never, ever be any satisfaction achieved in the world by me getting someone else to change so that I don't have to feel my alarm system going off. So your perceptual mind is the light for your earthly life. And if you're feeling hostility or fear, your lights are out, you're going to have a distorted perception. This is your alarm system telling you, Tim, You've recruited from your past painful memories, false beliefs, traumatic energies, and you're constructing a reality, an internal picture in your mind about the world and the people around you that is not accurate. Tim, stop. You're about to step into an open manhole. 
Tim, if you're driving a car, pull over, take a few deep breaths, make your home in the breathing unity. Breathe, feel it, and let it go. Restore your conscious focus of awareness to your true nature as the energy of love. The lights will come back on. You will see your life more accurately. And then in that moment, you can extend, you can choose to extend your true nature as the energy of love and creation to everyone and everything around you. And it's guaranteed, Tim, this is coming from your creator. It's guaranteed to work out better for you than when you act from hostility or fear. This brings to mind, Guy Finley says, you know, you've, the creator didn't just put you in a world with a teacher. The creator put you in a world where your constant relationship to the laws, to the energies that can teach you about yourself, your true nature and love in each moment will never abandon you if you simply ask to be taught. You're not just in the world with a teacher. You're in life, in each present moment, with an infinite relationship with that which can teach you about yourself and the true nature of the world around you if you simply ask it to. And if I can become conscious and present in each moment to my internal alarm system, more and more each day, I'm still working at peeling off the layers of decades of conditioning in my own current lifetime. But if I can practice this present moment resolution, this new moment's resolution, to be aware of the alarm system sounding within me, tension, fear, confusion, shame, guilt, upset, grief, pain, rage, frustration, and use that to take a breath, to center, to release what's less than loving in me, to focus my conscious awareness on my true nature as love, the lights come back on, I get a more accurate picture of what actually is happening in the world around me, and these other beings of light and love that are with me, to quote something I, I wrote earlier in a blog post uh, last week or the week before, there are no idiots in this world. There are only beings of light and brilliance who have either temporarily forgotten or have yet to discover their brilliance. Yes, every one of us has done something that we've later gone back and looked at and said, well, that was idiotic. And yet that does not define us. That is not our true nature. So there are no idiots. There are only beings of light and brilliance who have either temporarily forgotten or have yet to discover their brilliance. And if I feel something in my alarm system going off, any negative thought or emotion or physical ache or pain, and I stop, I breathe, I make my home, my conscious awareness focus on my true nature as energy of love, the lights come back on. And when the lights come back on, I am allowed in that moment accurate perception about the true nature of the beings of light and brilliance all around me and how everything that's happening in my life is happening for me 
to help me reveal to myself what I've been hiding from myself that's less than love, what I have been identified with that is less than the energy of creation, so that I might release that and choose again in each new moment to keep my focus on extending my true nature as the energy of love. I trust, Michelle, that if a hand had gone up, you would have interrupted, and so I will ask briefly here in the last few minutes for questions or comments from you. Um, I would have told you if there was a hand up. I think people are really enjoying it. And um, <clears throat> Actually, I want to—I have a way of mastery somewhere. I'm going to go find it and um, read that last one. It's intriguing. So thank you for your comments well, and, and introducing other, you know, Bessonly and Way of Mastery. I think you're right. They're um, different paths to the same summit. Yeah, we've talked at, at length at different times about how the truth is just the truth. And what's actually true is true no matter which words you're using to describe it. We have times when people get... And I mentioned it last week. We had a support group again last night and one a week ago. And a week ago the discussion was all about a word and a definition for a word and, and how everybody was having slightly different meanings for the word. And so it it ended up with people debating, well, what does that really mean and what does this really mean? So if you get past that, if you look at the actual actual experience of life it it works the same way for all of us and so each of the wisdom schools has something to offer and each of us from our history are going to be able to understand or resonate better with one school than another and so uh, pursue what 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 soothes you what nurtures you what helps you tune into your true nature and in the meantime, come on back tomorrow and the rest of the week and have the best year yet of your eternal life. We appreciate everybody who's been here today. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I actually went back and looked. That one was a pre-recording from December of uh, 2015. And the one that we played yesterday uh, was actually a recording from 20s and their awesome shows, and we hope you enjoyed them. So while I'm giving Michael a moment to dial in, I'll just welcome you to the second hour of Manchester's Radio, and today is Friday, August the 18th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And uh, we had a lot of people in the chat room yesterday. It was good to see Bob from Australia. He says he's doing better. Thank you for holding the space for him. And we had the, I'll be getting the links. Yesterday afternoon, the book club did A Course in Miracles, and the title of that was the name of God is my inheritance, courting on it, and I'll be putting that on the website later today after I take Aria home. And um, we have 
for those of you who are participating in the Steel Point Breathing, that takes place tomorrow, um, every third Saturday and Sunday. So at 11 o'clock on both of those days, we have Mind Shifters and Steel Point Breathing. So if you're participating in that, then watch your email or your text. Michael is requesting that you go ahead and choose two numbers, and he's assigning the Mind Shifters so that you'll go ahead and be working on that before breathing tomorrow. We have a couple of new people that are joining us tomorrow, and I believe that uh, Terry Bowling's coming back with us, and Yinka and Julia in Oregon. Well, I think she's in Spain right now, but she's going to join us. And then also Julia Dobos in Washington and Sarah in Indiana. So we've got people all over that are going to be participating in the breath work tomorrow. So if you would like to participate in that, then uh, contact Michael or myself and get registered, and we will be glad for you to uh, be part of our group. And uh, so I'm waiting on Michael. I don't think he's in yet. And uh, wait just a minute, sweetheart. <laughs> Ari's wanting to ask me a question. So, um all right, I see his. Here. I had to dial in as host, so there he is. Paul, pardon me. Hey there, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And ready to head to the next layer of conversation about this awesome thing called first century Aramaic forgiveness. Ms. Jeannie, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I hear you just fine. Oh, good. Okay. It seemed like something was uh, was amiss, but cool. Well, yesterday we were looking at the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind, the things that uh, the mind tell us will solve our problems, but will do nothing but exacerbate our problems. So those, uh, just to run through them quickly so they're fresh uh, from yesterday's conversation, if you want to get into more detail about them, you can listen to yesterday's show. But the first of the, the dozen or so pseudo-solutions we're going to talk about is if I could just figure this out, how, why, you know, what happened? Second pseudo-solution is fighting. Winning becomes most important. And one thinks, if I could just beat them, then everything would be okay. Then, of course, if I could just let them or myself off the hook and call that forgiveness, which, of course, you know, doing the uh, pardoning game can be very satisfying in a relationship by letting someone else off the hook for what they've done. But if you're trying to let them off the hook for what's happening inside of you, you're not going to have much success. And then, of course, if I could just fix, which really means if I could control them, if I or they were just good enough, if I could find somebody to love me, and, of course, in the, uh, in the culture, that really means approve of me or someone to love that I could approve of. You know, when we come into the world, we are the conscious, active presence of love, and the world specializes in knocking that out of us. And then... Telling us to go out and find somebody to love or somebody to love us. If I could just control everything and everyone, then you know, then I'd be okay. Or then there's the pseudo solution of straining, st- struggling to make up 
for a non-being life. Then, of course, one can try to hide their pain deeply enough into their brain's image of others, that is, blame deeply enough. And, you know, if I could just convince them that they're the problem in my life, they're the reason my mind, my physiology is producing this traumatic experience. You know, that, that usually comes in the form of they made me angry, they made me sad. That's the starting point of it. And, of course, if you're angry, you're sad. You're not angry, you're sad because of what somebody's done. You're angry or you're sad because there's sadness in you. And if you want to resolve it, you've got to go in and resolve it. So these are all pseudo-solutions. Then many people go to, well, if I could just take the easy way out, I'll just stay on autopilot and you know, do the behaviors of the past to play out the games of the culture. If I could just be right, prove that I'm right, and never have to suspect myself, prove that I'm not responsible. And a big one is to obfuscate, to distract, to confuse, to switch issues. And, and of course, part of that uh, game of obfuscate is, well, you did it too. Well, you know something? Maybe I did. But that's not what we're talking right now. We're talking about the fact that you did it. Or I did it. So let's stay with that. And, yes, maybe there's a separate conversation for when, you know, one or the other did the same thing. But... Let's resolve what's going on between us right now. And then the final pseudo-solution we talked about is if I could just get out of here, just the need to escape, leave, you know, pretending that I'm not angry or afraid, get rid of them. And this escape game, this having to leave gets to be pretty old. And behind all of those pseudo-solutions, there's always a goal. In order for the mind to come up with a behavior, whatever it's based in, there's always a goal driving perception. And the specific identification of the goal that's driving pained perception is a critical component of healing. So the whole painful experience that the mind produces is a result of hostility or fear that's resonated by events in our world and in combination with the goals that we hold within our minds. And so, you know, the kinds of, there's some, some basic things that people are after, and it can be helpful to realize some of those basics in determining what your goals are. Because oftentimes, goals are unconscious, they're automatic, and people just, they don't even know what's driving their own minds. So goals can range from, you know, being wanting to be cherished, wanting to be esteemed, to be safe, to be seen, to be heard, to be important, to win, to be honored, to have sex, to stay sane, to survive, to feel fulfilled. Things like having power drive a lot of people, be respected the goal to belong, the need to belong or be accepted. Just the need to express can be a powerful one. To be approved of, to be acknowledged, appreciated, be in control. The goal for survival, to have, just to have food, to survive. To experience, and sadly it's usually experiencing Approval, not actually love, but to experience what people call love, 
or to express love, to get cooperation, have prosperity, to feel powerful, the goal to better oneself, and of course the myriad of things that can drive perception. And whenever I'm in pain, if I recognize that my goal is what's causing my mind to use pain content to build this particular perception, even though my mind is showing me a picture of you, if I'm in pain, my mind is projecting my own unconscious pain into my brain's image of you. And so as I become aware, then the core of the forgiveness process, once having identified the goal, is to cancel the goal. Not because you don't want what you want, not because you can't have it, not because it wouldn't be wonderful to have it, but you recognize that when you load this goal in your mind, your mind uses your own pain content to build your reality and your experience. And so by canceling the goal, that reality, that experience collapses. And so when one cancels a goal, then the mind's conscious construct, which is usually informed by unconscious content, collapses and one gets to drop into their unconscious content. And that's where the cleanup process begins. That's where the cleaning up of the mind begins. Now, oftentimes, if one is not having their goals achieved, anesthetics become the object of a search of one's life, I mean, to the point where people destroy themselves in search of an anesthetic. You know, listen to the numbers of, of people that are being destroyed by opiates, or I should say destroying themselves in the pursuit of opiates, something to anesthetize against their pain. And of course, the very basic definition of a codependent relationship is where I want to believe and I want somebody else to be responsible for my pain. So if I can't really prove or get somebody else to say, okay, it is my fault, I'm the one who caused it, then, and I'm not acquainted with the forgiveness process, I, I, I'm not aware of how to go inside myself and clean up this pain, then some sort of anesthetic is used to close off the thought disorders, to hide the seeming, seemingly unresolvable emotions and pain. Of course, the first step in that is denial. And in this work, our definition of denial is the act of thinking or speaking as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. And that's the beginning point of an ever-deeply destructive cycle of false perception. Denial results in dissociation, hiding by the mind of the truth in order that I can believe my hallucinated lie, the construct of my mind. 
perception by definition is something that the mind generates in order to help us to believe that what's happening inside of us isn't ours. So the mind hides truth so that I can believe what I'm, my hallucination, my perception. The next step in that cycle is a projection of what I'm hidden from myself into my mind's image, which is really painted on the inside of my eyeballs of, of them, whoever the problem is. That cycle is completed when I, when I then externalize my perceptual image. I really pretend that what I'm looking at, the, the body, quote-unquote, that's causing me so much pain, the picture that I'm seeing in my mind, I'm pretending that it's actually out there. And when I do that, the misdirection that occurs, my mind generates that false perceptual construct and hides the tr- truth. And, and it seems like I'm protecting myself from my self-induced pain. But all I'm doing is projecting my pain. The pain's still there. The pain remains. The pain is still experienced, even though I put it into my brain's image of someone else. So this mechanism of protection is somewhat like an anesthetic and that while not covering the pain altogether, it directs the mind to put one's pain into the brain's image of another in order to avoid facing the internally generated pain truly and directly. Game is absolutely everything. The denial cycle and anesthetics can appear to be pseudo-solutions in that they seem to solve our problems, but the pain still felt. The truth is, if I'm in pain, my thinking is in error, and I have work to do. Now, when denial and anesthetics compromise intelligence and numb us to the warning signals that would inform us, they really complicate our challenges and and actually end up intensifying the need for self-correction of uncovering, engaging in truth. The mind energy behind our pseudo-solutions create aberrant psychological disturbances and physiological interference called chemistry in the cell. When that happens, we produce mental constructs and perceptions that block truth. Now, addiction becomes tempting when the internal quote-unquote chemistry of the current pseudo-solution isn't working effectively to shut down whatever I'm trying to avoid, feeling. Anesthetics and addictions, the most common one being busyness, are often used to hide stress under the pretense that we're managing our stress. Ultimately, denial and addictions do nothing but create and reinforce living an unconscious life. It's interesting, a few years back we did a a workshop in a super high security prison in a town called Ionia, Michigan. It's a, uh, a former Civil War site that they've turned into a prison, and they bring all of the worst prisoners from the state of Michigan and house them in that prison. And they're, uh, they're 
incarceration rates or, or time frame is anywhere from 25 years to life. Pretty awesome going into that prison, especially the warden who, and I've never had this before, I've been in a lot of jails and a lot of prisons all over the country. And I've never been personally greeted by the warden of the prison who escorted us in, pardon me, <coughs> walked us past security and showed us to our classroom and stayed for the whole workshop. And in later sessions, actually sat in on some of the sessions personally and shared with the prisoners his personal experience of the process that he was going through in the same way that the prisoners shared in the processes they were going through. It's pretty powerful. But when we completed there, we had a local teacher who decided to pick up on what we'd done. We'd been introduced by our being there and continued with a study group in the prison with the inmates that were interested. And he did an eight-week series Actually, he and a young lady who assisted him, who sometimes runs our switchboard. And they did an eight-week series, and it's always been a... And they decided to do a Laws of Living intensive in the prison for these prisoners. Laws of Living was originally designed for the prison system. And the tradition has always been, in the early days, if people weren't invested in the course, then they didn't usually get much out of it. They didn't invest much in it if they didn't invest in it. <laughs> so with a prison where people are doing 25 years to life, of course, they have no money to invest in it. So the investment that we set up was a requirement in order to be a part of the course was that they had to do five worksheets a day through the period of the eight-week lead-up to the course. And the day that everybody showed up to the course and they were to have their homework with them to validate their entry into the course, every person who had wanted to be part of the course had exactly the same reason why they did not have that homework complete. They didn't have the price of their ticket, which was worksheets. And every person, now these are people who <clears throat> are locked in their cells for 23 out of 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're in a cell. And every one of them had the same excuse for not having that homework completed. And that was that they were too busy. If you take a look, you know, you've been listening to the show for a while, perhaps, and I suggest you do, you know, a worksheet a day or five worksheets a day or whatever. Did you do it? And if you didn't do it, what did you tell yourself? Oh, I was too busy. That's the most common one. And people can become addicted to well, anything. You know, in, in the in this work we define addiction as the compulsive use of any anesthetic. Any person, place, circumstance, substance, situation, or activity to do two things, to avoid listening to one's highest guidance 
and or to keep from feeling and dealing with stress or with any mind energy they hold within them and emotions that do not come from love. So, again, it's the compulsive use. It isn't that someone takes a drink. It's that one has to have a drink. And that's what turns something into an addiction. So these behaviors tend to dull awareness or shut down contact with thought disorders. It's, it's a way to avoid one's own mind. So here are some examples. Now, some of them may fall into the category of addiction and some not. So people do things like, or or their avoidance goes like this. I don't need to feel my pain if I hang out with Bill because Bill keeps me laughing. Or when I have a rough day at work, the world fades away after just six drinks. Or I get so absorbed in the TV, I'm able to forget about my life. Something that, at least in my awareness, is relatively new. When I was a kid, I'd never heard of such a thing. But if I inflict enough pain on myself, I will not have to deal with this. We hear about young people cutting themselves. And it's a way of controlling what they don't know how to address in themselves what seems to be an uncontrollable pain with a pain that they can control. Or another one is I avoid connection because it reminds me of my pain. So these are all things that one can become addicted to. So what we suggest is that you start looking at any particular tactic or behavior that you use, any pseudo-solution when you're in fear or hostility. And so you might just want to think about what kinds of, you know, you have a pen handy, what kind of things do you do? And I've got a list here. I'm going to kind of run through this list. And, you know, if there are things that you find yourself doing, you might just want to make a note and do some work around it, do some worksheets around it or what have you, whatever, use the tools. And or you might look at tactic, tactics that you observed your power person do, you know, looking from that point, perspective of the uh, codependence work. So, of course, the number one, the most common one is the denial, the blame, dissociation, and projection. You you made me mad, so it's your fault, blame. I hide the real cause of my pain. And then by hiding the real cause of my pain, because energetically I've intensified my pain, now my intensified pain sends out a signal that draws somebody in to play that out with me. And when they play that out with me, they resonate what I've dissociated from and what I've hidden from myself I literally use to build my brain's image of them. It's called projection. Projection is not what our culture tends to define it as, is taking something that's inside of me and putting it outside of me. No. 
projection is taking something that's inside of me and, and painting pictures on the inside of my eyeballs with it, pictures of somebody else that I'm blaming. And then those pictures are externalized. We pretend that what what my brain is showing me that I think is coming in through my eyes is actually outside of me. So to dissociate and project is a, a big happening in our culture. Tactics. Disassociation. Different than dissociate. Dissociate is to hide something inside of me that I don't want to look at or deal with. Disassociate is to just totally and completely disconnect from my own reality, from my own body, from life. So what are some of the other things people do? Yell, scream, use the voice, be cute, coy, use distractions, gaslight, lie, insincerity, deception, false religiosity, criticize either self or others or both, degrade self, others or both, covert to convey a different message with my voice tone than with my words, leave, escape, run away, go numb, greed, become self-absorbed, false pride, turn to entertainment, insist on my need to be right, make excuses, Many people avoid their emotions by staying in their heads, by intellectualizing. I'm willing to look within. Many will, in order not to deal with what's going on inside themselves, dish out a daily dose of disapproval to self or others. Fall out of harmony with just and fair behavior by being unfair or unkind, envy, cheat, attack, destroy, attempt to get even, vengeance, steal, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. When you apply forgiveness, obsessive compulsive disorders become obsessive compulsive blessings. Defensiveness, have to take a position, puff self up, rage, threaten, pressure, intimidate, use sarcasm, become controlling. You ever played that game of controlling? Biting tantrums, going silent, withdrawal, run, hide, become abusive either physically, emotionally, verbally. Get boisterous, punish, harm others or self, 
or, or fantasizing punishment or harm can be another mechanism the mind will use. Become a pleaser. Engage in self-terrorizing thoughts. Or terrorize, we're watching this big time in the, in the political world right now, terrorizing others with thoughts, words, actions. Judge self, judge others. Make up stories, lies about others or self to block the truth. Apologize, become violent, either in thoughts, behavior, entertainment. Never own or admit the truth. Give in, give up, take the easy way. Play the game of never showing weakness. Be vulnerable. Rage, food's a big one, big avoidance. Sugar especially, alcohol. Legal or illegal drugs, busyness again. Some people take up exercise as a way to avoid. You know, exercise is a wonderful thing, but if you're using it to avoid, it turns into something that can be destructive. Spending, shopping can be a big one for a lot of people. Of course, sex, promiscuity, pornography. Big avoidance mechanisms. Seduction. Reading can become an avoidance. Criminality. Laziness. Playing games, TV, social media, violence. Remember, Jeannie and I were working with someone, and this person, you know, we'd gotten a pretty good sense of what was going on with them, but each time, Jeannie was doing private work with them, and each time that she would work with them, you know, she charges by the hour, and this person would spend the majority of their hour telling their story. And it became quite a, actually, I've had it happen in the past where someone just quit working with me because they just wanted to tell their story. They didn't want feedback. They didn't want to heal. They didn't want to use the tools. They just wanted to tell their story. Irritation can be a way to avoid Spiritual rituals. You know, get that feel-good music going. Then you can avoid what's happening inside of you rather than step in and deal with it. Excess cleaning. Meditation, you know, people try to transcend above the issue. I remember working with a physician in St. Louis, and when I was speaking in St. Louis, he'd invite me to stay at his house. And he was someone that was always irritated, pretty much always in irritation, upset, especially around his family. And when he'd get into this upset, he'd go, oh, I have to meditate. And he'd go and get, um, you know, he'd do his meditation thing, you know, see, everything's fine. And then two minutes later, he's back in that irritation again. It's like, that's just an avoidance mechanism. I mean, meditation can be a wonderful thing. But if you use it to avoid, it's an addiction. Again, anything can be used as an addiction. 
frustration, gossip, complaining, you know, become a workshop groupie. You know, people have seen that over the years. They come to the workshops, but do they ever use the tools? Oh, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, have you ever done the work of such and Oh, yeah, I did that workshop. Have you did that? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, I went to that one. Oh, yeah, I know about that. I know about that. I know about that. It's like, did you ever do any of it? Pick up a worksheet and actually use it? You actually put the pen to the paper and use the tools? Diversion, distraction, escapism, leaving, running away are all the same game. Another way to avoid can be fear-based concern about others, children, self, parents, the world. Lack of trust. Separate your life into pieces. You know, oh, I have friends in this arena, but I never introduce them to these friends over here. Avoidance, again, a, a form of denial or dissociation. We talked earlier about obfuscation, you know, creating big, billowy excuses and distractions instead of actually dealing with an issue. So it creates confusion. Playing the victim can be a powerful way. You know, becoming the drama queen or the drama king. Stories, distractions to create avoidance. Some people turn to fantasy. They make up facts to justify their conclusion. You know, the mind presents a reality that is totally, completely illogical, and somebody will make up a story about, you know, to, to make it reasonable. It's just like to make stuff up just to make it believable to oneself or to others. So to, to look at the tactics, if you've ever used them, to avoid dealing with the issues in your life, especially owning the power person behaviors, the power person dynamics that have been established. And that, again, is usually something from early childhood. So there are a few of the things that people do to avoid, and if you have any others to share with us, Push one. Tell us about what's going on for you. Is this resonating things for you? Does it arouse any questions? What's happening in your world? If you've got anything to share with us, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then if you push one, we'll be having a conversation. So, Ms. Jeanine, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? There is no hand up, however, um, except yours. <laughs> um, yes. I did, I, we, I'm not sure when it popped through. It probably was at the time, you know, you were even talking about workshop junkies and things like that, but she's... Susan wrote and said, you need to add listening to the radio show and a laughing face. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that's opening the space for processing, Susan, rather than avoidance. Yeah. And she says, your app has convinced me that doing a worksheet is a form of prayer. And there's actually, and you've met her before uh, in the Steel Point, Sarah, she calls them prayer sheets. And she no. does it a little longer version um, of it. Hold on, sweetie, I'm talking. Um, but uh, she calls them prayer sheets instead of worksheets. 
Oh, a couple hands just went up. Awesome. Let's say hello. Great. Okay. Um, the first one is Dan757. You're on the air. Hey, y'all. Hey, good, sir. Good Welcome. Hey, good to be heard. Yeah, How do you be? Uh, I, I, I be good. I be good. I don't always like all my feelings and, um, you know, I, uh, I was sort of resonating with a lot of different stuff there. Some of the avoidance tactics, I'm kind of like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure I used about pretty much all of these. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, doing this work, I think something I've been struck by is, uh, just the amount of pain that I'm storing on the inside. And, you know, I seem like I'm recently going through, like, rapid, uh, you know, healing crisis and then, you know, feeling really good and then healing crisis and feeling really good. And I was kind of wondering if that's a, you know, typical possibility or something that could happen because that seems to be sort of of rapid fire for me right now. And then I I had some realizations recently that I want to share if that's okay. Absolutely, yeah. It's very typical. You know, oftentimes people work around an issue and and they'll get stuck on a plateau and they'll work and work and think, geez, this isn't working, I'm not getting anywhere. Then all of a sudden, once they hit that next level of vitality, bing, then comes the breakthrough. And that's when, especially when you get a, a shift in vitality, then you can start moving through things high speed, fast forward. I know for me personally, I look back at the early days of doing this work and something would come up and it, it might be something that I'd work on for days and and maybe even into weeks. And then in yeah. later years with the practice, I can go through two or three of those in a day as you've developed the skill and the ability and the willingness to move through it. So, yeah, that's very common. Okay, yeah, because it's been up and down and up and down recently and um, – you know, just kind of diving in, and, uh, you know, I had mentioned, and please feel free to, to set limits with me on the time, because I, I can just sort of start talking and lose track. I want everyone to get a chance to um, get on here, but, um, you Go know, I it. shared with, with you, you, and you've got our attention. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I think I've spoken with you uh, a little bit about the the relationship breakup that I've been going through and, right. you know, I had done a lot, a lot of worksheets on her, on that situation, on myself, uh, in regard to that situation, on the realities that seemed to resonate from earlier in my life. And, you know, it's like what has slowly dawned on me and, and become a little more apparent is that after we had split up, I began to project onto my image of her some of the sort of good qualities that I had buried in myself from childhood, the the, the innocence, the kindness, the, the sweetness, the lovingness, the spontaneity, the uh, sort of purity of heart. I projected those things on my image of her and imagined that I had hurt that part of her, and I had a lot of mourning and weeping and grief over that. And what what I sort of realized is that I think that I was unable to feel those feelings directly for that part of myself, uh, which is what I right. had wanted to grieve and feel, feel sad about because I buried that part of myself. And so instead I imagined, well, I did it to her. And 
I had a moment where, you know, I had sort of decided I would like to see if she's willing to try this again. And we sort of got in touch and it ended up with a phone call where, uh, she was sort of cursing me out and saying, I'm just the worst person ever. And she was very angry. And it was like this contrast between what I had projected on my image of her and what she was displaying in that moment um, gave me some so freedom. The question actually. there. And the question I was that would ask there is, were you able to stay connected to the presence of love? As she hurled those accusations at you, were you able to be the space for her? You know, perhaps, you know, if there was a a genuine possibility of relationship there, perhaps the work that you had done would be the space in which it would become safe enough for her to start to deal with some things that she had not been dealing with. And so oftentimes just being that space is... uh, it's a real key to moving through things for both people involved in a relationship. Well, it threw me off so much that I think my response was kind of like nonchalant and a little bit odd. And I even kind of like giggled at one point and I don't feel good about that, but I was just so, and, and it, to me, at least my story is that she was so angry that she wasn't able to hear anything I was saying, and she did end up hanging up on me. Um, mm. And so I don't know if it's, you know, the healthiest thing for me to reach back out to her. I don't think it is right now. Um, but the odd thing about what sort of moved within me, I don't know. It's just very, very gets tangled and complex. I have a lot of trouble with, like, uh, figuring it like with as far as the worksheet, what exactly to put in that trigger spot, and then you know what I mean because I can never tell is it is she the trigger is a part of me the trigger is it both or and that's with anything I may do work on not just this relationship. Sure. Well, if you're in interaction with her and she's in that kind of angry state and you go into upset, then you could do worksheets from both perspectives. One would be where she would be number one C, that she's the object of attention. And you might do worksheets around yourself as the object of attention and the response you see coming from within yourself. So one worksheet might look like, you know, she's so enraged, what's wrong with her? And then the worksheet that you might do on yourself might look like, you know, why am I, what's going on with me that I'm buying into this, that I believe that this is true about me? And so each one of those in that circumstance would produce a different healing result in terms of those massive unconscious dynamics that we tend to carry around within us. Yeah, it's just very thick, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, and it I can be pretty complex. When she got that angry at me, I did not uh, get reactive. Um, right. I don't know what happened. That's sort of where something clicked, but I also, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, my my offering one would be that she didn't get angry with you, Dan. She just got angry. She has anger. You know, we tend to, we live in a culture where we convince each other that we're responsible for each other's emotional states. 
And so my offering would be, she's never been angry with you or anybody else. There's just anger in there for her to resolve. Yeah. And then do I choose to be the space that supports her in healing that anger? Do I say, you know, I've had enough. Of course, I have to make my own choices there. But to uh, yeah. just to yeah. believe that that she's angry with you would be another piece of worksheet or another worksheet to do, you know, perhaps touching in and, and looking at the power person dynamic. How much time in your life was your power person, quote unquote, angry with you and or how did they express their anger? And that might produce another uh, healing result in terms of cleaning up the the gunk of the past in your own mind. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of that there. Um, I think it was sort of like in the relationship, you know, I can see how I I wanted to or at some level signed up to, to try to be responsible for her feelings. Like I can see now that that was the dynamic, or at least part of it was that I wanted right. to be everything she ever thought she needed. I wanted to play that role. And I think she wanted me to be that. So I think there was like an unconscious agreement between us to have a codependent relationship. <laughs> right. Yeah. And did you, did you ever have a power person who wanted to be or implied that you were responsible for what they were feeling, what they were doing, what they oh, were absolutely. experiencing? Exactly how um, I sort of grew up. I mean, that was my whole, seemed to be my whole purpose on life was to, in life, was to be responsible for making someone else feel better and resolving their uh, anger and pain. Well, that's a pretty big job assignment. (laughs) (laughs) As big as it gets. Being responsible for our own is enough, let alone somebody else's. But that's the state of the world. That's pretty much the state of the world, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's not even that, you know, I always thought it was unique. It's not really unique at all. Um, but the, the so the power person for me, at least my story, was that uh, my power person kind of crushed my uh, – and joyfulness and love and whatnot. That's my story. And then my story was that I did that to my ex-girlfriend. Right. So, so notice that in the same way that I just pointed out that, you know, you didn't make her angry. She's got anger. Notice that you have a story that your power person crushed that in you. And my offering would be, no, your power person didn't crush that in you. It was in there because it's in there, and now your job is to clean it up. And it's denial to think, well, I experienced that because of what my power person did. And I'm doing that right. denial by taking responsibility. So I would say a, probably a very productive series of worksheets to do would probably be worksheets on believing that your power person crushed the aliveness, the innocence, and such. That will probably open mm. some huge spaces for you. Because the, the truth is that I'm I'm maintaining that type of energy where I'm believing that that's suppressed in me, right? Like that's correct. Okay. And that's where those worksheets will be. For, I think you'll find them really productive. 
Awesome. And then to to do the same processing around what you believe to be your responsibility with her, that, you know, you pass on to her what your power person did to you. And, mm, okay. yes, my mind has... My mind has realities that my power person did that to me. And so what I'll tend to do is, you know, whatever whatever behaviors, and, you know, in that power, power person dynamic, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but there are only three behaviors possible once a power person dynamic has been installed in someone's mind. And the behaviors are all related to the level of stress that we're under. So when there's little or no stress, one will do whatever it is in their lives that they did to get along with their power person. When stress starts to build, you know, the, the automatic decision system line will kick them into doing what they did to resist and survive with their power person. And then when they become ultra-stressed, they'll do what their power person did to them that they hated the most. And so if you hated that, your perception was that your power person suppressed those things in you. So here you are now turning around accusing yourself of doing it to her. And maybe you did do those same kinds of actions that you perceived had that impact on you. And as you undo those energetic patterns, not only will you be free of them, but you'll start to free your bloodline from those dynamics. Your generations. That's pretty awesome. And I don't know if you've touched into the commitment as yet. Have you looked at the commitment from the Healing Through Relationships workshop? No, and I was going to ask you where I can get more information on the power person dynamic. Is that kind of where that is? Well, the um, power person, there's a video on our website called uh, uh, Codependence to Interdependence. And that goes through and into the whole power person dynamic. Or I think maybe Terry had shared with you, he recently started to do the codependence to interdependence intensive. That's a self-study intensive that we have. And that workshop actually is 90 hours of video work. Uh, it's actually a, a, a Zoom two Zoom intensive that we've combined that has all of the teaching from codependence to interdependence, why is this happening to me again, healing through relationships, communication, did you hear what I think I said, and mind shifters and still point breathing. So there are 90 hours of instructional videos in a self-study. That's something that Terry just recently started. I know you guys have been working together. Actually, I mentioned to Terry because he was saying, you know, the, the work that you were moving into and doing that was before you and I connected. And I suggested it might be something you guys might want to just coordinate and, uh, you know, create a buddy yeah. system and accountability and a conversation and, and work on together. And uh, it's a really powerful uh, compendium of information. And it starts out with a personal code evaluation, and our personal code evaluation is a, a digitized, um, trimmed-down copy of the MMPI, Minnesota Multiphasic okay. Personality Inventory. And it looks at 
or, or scores you in 10 different areas and looks at where the blocks are in the mind. So the intensive starts out saying, okay, so here are the places where your mind tends to block you and where your greatest learning is. And then there are specific uh, tools in each of those. We, out of 10 areas that the evaluation lays out, we give each person who does an intensive three assignments. So the, uh, the different areas that it looks at, it looks at stress management, it looks at the ability uh, to honor others, to honor self, to honor truth, to honor laws of living, freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, use of will, nutrition, digestion, toxicity. So it covers all of those areas and it looks and says, okay, so, so here's where you're most blocked. So here's your number one assignment for this intensive here's your second here's your number two assignment number three and then there's specific tools things to do about that and uh, so with the fact that you and Jerry have been working together that might be something you might want to coordinate with him and and just kind of kick back and forth together between you and work on yeah yeah that sounds awesome Well, if you if you if you're interested in doing that, we can talk after the show is over, and uh, and okay. get you set up to do that if you want to move forward with that. And you shared that there were some other things you wanted to uh, to put forward that were coming up for you. Um, I I think that may be enough for one time. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for the willingness and putting it out there and holding the space. And what I'll do when we finish uh, the show, I'll send you a copy of the commitment. And whether you choose to communicate with this young lady or not, uh, one of the things you might want to do, I'd suggest you might do, is either print it or you could just text it or email it to her, the commitment with the you know, the, the sentiment that here's where I'm moving in my life, if, if the commitment makes sense to you. And okay. if, if there's any possibility of us reopening relationship, this is where I want to go. I, I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. So rather than playing this game of blaming each other and having to bounce back and forth with this separation and anger and such, let's recognize that we both are coming into this relationship with our stuff and let's join in supporting each other and moving through the layers. I know we had a, a couple who, uh, she had started to do this work and her husband didn't want to have anything to do with it. And finally, after some stress and, and conflict, uh, she uh, they, they decided they were going to divorce. They had three kids at that point, and they decided to divorce. And she called me and she said, Michael, I, I just, I'm not sure, I don't know what to do. We're just like, we're finished. So what I suggested to her was that she take the Healing Through Relationships workshop and watch it and invite him to watch it. And she called me back. They literally had their bags packed at the door, ready to move out of the house, and it was done. And they agreed that they'd sit together and watch the Healing Through Relationships video. And within a week... Her contact with me was, we're back on our second honeymoon, and we're just working together to clean up our stuff, to clean to, for each of us to be responsible for, and clean up what we carried into this relationship, rather than just playing this blame game. Yeah. So it can transform everything. 
So I'll, I'll text you that uh, that commitment, and you can you know go to the website and copy a formatted copy of it if you want to print it, or you can just you know highlight it and copy it, and if that makes sense, text it to her, and who knows what space it opens. Yes. Okay. I've seen many awesome. people over the years right on, literally on the verge of separation, divorce. When they they look at that, it's like. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was possible. Okay, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> and it, it changes everything. And I've seen other people who picked it up. Actually, I think about one, one couple in particular who were, again, on the verge of divorce. And they picked it up. And they were, you know, I mean, they were ready for war. They were ready for, you know, going to court and seeing who could get how much money out of who else. You know, you know I mean, the whole thing was this crazy time. And they they decided that, their relationship it had been a very long-term relationship they've been married for some 30 years and they decided that their relationship was over that was no longer appropriate but they were able to use the commitment to divorce amicably they didn't have to kill each other in court they didn't have to spend all their money and their resources fighting each other in court they were able to gently lovingly separate and remain friends you know realizing that relationship was not appropriate for them anymore so there are many different outcomes, but to uh, to create outcomes based in our human lives as love rather than out of our pained, uh, dissociated minds, it just changes everything. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, sir. Well, thank you for the call and the questions, and I'll send that to you, and I'll give you a shout, and we'll get it set up for the codependence workshop. Thank you. Cool. All right. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. And we are down to the last minute. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate you. And uh, hold the space for each and every person to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world, and especially with all the craziness going on in the culture, it's certainly time for somebody to make a shift. And We're here to support that happening. Have a blessed one. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.